0: Hello, everybody. The following is a conversation between me and Leif Youngs. We talk about rutting, valued communities, sustainability, and animal rights activism. Hope you enjoy. We're rolling. Do you want to just start off and maybe tell us your name and any credentials you have, and um, different things like that? Like,
1: just well, I'm Leaf. I'm I'm a, a long time Fort Collins resident. I've been here over 20 years. Um, I came here to go to specifically to go to CSU on a recommendation from a family member, and I got really, really entrenched in, in CSU, and I really loved it. I, I did it. I did quite a few things while I was there. I, I got an ag, ag business and bioagricultural sciences degree with a concentration in plant health, and that really fostered a love for the environment and the health and the plants. So you know, as you can imagine, I have a little forest at my home, but. I keep trying to get away, f- away from Fort Collins as I, all my family is in the Boulder kind of area. Mm-hmm. They're, all, they're all within Boulder, but kind of like some are on the outskirts, some are yeah. in the city. Um, and I really like Boulder. I went to high school there. At least I finished my high school there. I grew up in the, the great armpit of, called New Jersey. <laughs> and when I got out here, everybody kind of slowed down, and I, and I like that. and Everybody started to enjoy, enjoy what we have. And that also brought more to me that, to be mindful of what we have. So I keep trying to get back to, 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 to Boulder, but as you can see, I rode my bike today. And I very happily rode my bike today. And that keeps me in Fort Collins, you know. I, I, mm. Every opportunity I get to go back to Boulder, like something about bikes just pulls me back. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a huge biker, I'm, I'm more of a huge runner. And I'm getting back into that recently after a medical Issue that's getting under control now, which I'm happy about so why does so, so maybe maybe you, could, you can yourself you can explain a little bit about what got you into the podcasting and what you yeah kind of want out of the podcasting
0: Yeah uh, in general, I just want to have conversations with people'm I think of myself as being pretty curious and so um, you know you can read a hundred books, but its I more and more prefer to face-to-face interact with somebody. And for a nice brief hour, two hours, three hours, four hours with some people, um, I get to kind of dive into their life. I get to get to know them a little bit. Um, normally with the headphones, it's very intimate, you know. Um, you can still hear me now, but it really locks you in. It's really fun to kind of... Um, and I've been thinking about this lately. It, there's a ritual to it. There's a bit of an aspect to it of, like, we we picked a place, we have all these... Um, things like I have a whole ritual of setting these things up, you know, and then sit down and have like at least attempt to have a meaningful conversation with somebody. Right. And um, I really like that. I really like that. There's a, there's a kind of a step to it, but then right when I hit record, I try to do it with new people. And so it's a new story and it's not the same every time, so to speak.
1: Um, So yeah, I think that answers your question. I really, Well, well, after, after, after what happened this weekend, it, it was all the protesting, but more importantly, in my, in my world, it was Western States Endurance Run, mm. which is 100, which is a pretty famous 100 yeah. miler from Squaw Valley to to Auburn, California. I feel pretty uh, special being your, your person you're curious about. Can you tell us more about that race? Um, so I, ha- I haven't heard of it, honestly. I think it's, I think it's the oldest 100 miler in the world. Okay. And w- for me, what I like about it is. There's a group called I Run. I think I think they're called I Run, and they live stream a lot of it, the different aid stations, and, and you can, you can really, and especially the finish line, and, and you can really you can you can really see it in people like how they're handling the race. And 100 miles is, is you know even for the best of the best, the fastest of the fastest, um, is still tough. And mm-hmm. we, we all remember a couple of years ago that Jim Wormsley, he made a wrong turn and he went five miles out out of his way and. He didn't make it, but mm-hmm. the next year he like set a course record and stuff. So, but the cool thing is at the, at the finish line, and, and I guess this is this is uh, kind of cool about any in the really really in the ultra-marathoning community that everybody supports everybody. But at the end, you come in you come into this high school track, and you get on the track just after the finish line, and you do one lap, but about 150 meters, you're, you're fully on camera. The crowd's got you. Usually, usually 100 miles is enough to spread everybody out that you're, not, you're all by yourself, mm-hmm. and people really cheer you on. And even this year, they, they, it was pretty special. I, I haven't really de- delved into all the highlights and all the different personal finishing videos of some of the f- more famous people. But the, the winner from 1983... He didn't make the cutoff, so he, got, he got, did not finish, but he still, he still crossed the finish line. But it, it was cool to have him come back mm-hmm. 40 years later. Where was that held at? Where? It's, it's, um, it's run from, Calif- uh, from Squaw Valley, okay. which is a former Winter uh, Mer- um, Olympics site, to okay. Auburn, California. Okay, gotcha. That's Had awesome. Pl- place for Valley High. Yeah. Or place for High School, I yeah. think it's called. And so what got you in the running? Um, well as a kid I was always big into sports and my dad almost had a professional baseball career. Mm-hmm. He did, he denied that career because he, he had an offer and I and I seen his um I've seen his scouting videos. He he had he had video on Unreal, and he got it when I was a little kid he got it transferred over to VHS and I and I watched it on TV. I watched it. It was pretty cool. But he was going to he was going to play in a, a rookie league which is about as low as you can be. That was going to be in Virginia and West Virginia. And he said, he said, I'm not going to be making enough money to live. you got to be, you know, in his mind, you've got to be at least AAA, hmm. Just right under the major leagues to, to make enough to survive. So he denied that, but it, he's still a really, really big baseball fan. So yeah. he, that was one of the things he got me into, and I played that as a kid. But I was never a very big, a big kid. So, like, you know, hitting the ball far, throwing the ball hard, pitching and outfielding were kind of – out of the question mm-hmm. even though they put me in the outfield because the kids couldn't hit and so if you if you couldn't really play they put, put you out there kind of like nobody's gonna get it to you yeah. so you're not gonna mess up and then I wanted to be a catcher I thought that was the next exciting spot but I'm left-handed <laughs> and left-handers just don't happen because I'm gonna hit the I'm gonna hit the batter every time I throw the ball 99% of the time um, so I play, also played soccer I loved, and that's where I really got into running I would eat up the whole field, and sometimes the coaches would get mad that I, I was doing more than my position entailed. Hmm. Um, this was all in Jersey? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty much. I did a little bit of out here. I, I did a little bit of soccer out here, but it, it more became fun because by, by the time I, I left New Jersey, I was, I was getting big into the running. And what really helped was I was part of a, a state championship team Smaller school, but I was part of a state championship cross country team out there. My dad, my dad offered him up before the race. He said, "I'll, I'll, buy, a, I'll buy a full pizza party if you guys win." And they, I guess that, that was the little spark they needed. <laughs> Any kid can use pizza yeah. as a motivation. Yeah. So I did. I did that, and then I came out here, and the runners were a lot better, a lot more. So I just kept doing that, and I was big enough into running that as my gift to myself. Mm-hmm. About a week after I graduated CSU, I ran. The Fort Collins Marathon, which is now, now has become the Colorado Marathon. Mm-hmm. I didn't know what I was doing at all. I hit the wall, which I've heard, of, I've heard about. and That's the only time I've ever hit it. I've never, ever done it. Um, but I finished, and I kept going. And then finally, I, I wanted to find a community. I ran on my own. And it, it was what it was. It wasn't anything special. And then I found a community out here of great runners. And I asked a few too many questions being curious like you are with your podcast, yeah. And one of the guys, Pete Stevens, he's not a fast guy. He's not a slow guy. He he's got the endurance. He's a little bit bigger guy. And I found I found this community to have everybody, all types: the skinnies, the fast, the, the slow, the big. <laughs> but they all we all um, encourage each other, and, we, and we've all d- done some amazing races. You know, even this guy I thought you know wouldn't be any good for even a 5K. He's done 50K. Just over 30 mi- miles. So I started asking questions, and they go, "Yeah, yeah, there's things that's longer than a marathon." And I got brewing. I got brewing in my head, and I said, "Well, let's let's give it a go. Let's give it a try." So I ran, and um, I did training runs, and I got I got to a marathon in my training runs, and nothing happened. Like my, I thought that was the wall, because mm. you know normally people don't talk about anything over the, over a marathon. So I, th- I figured that was the wall. and That wasn't the wall. So I said, "What is the wall?" and That's, I guess, become... As far as staying active, that's become my goal, Mm. is to find out where that wall really is. Okay. I've heard of 200, I've heard of 150, and I think maybe if I... I might want 100. I kind of do want 100, but... Yeah. I don't think I'm in that league yet.
0: How close are you
1: right now, would you say? Um, Well, I've had a medical issue. I've had had colitis, which Mm. is inflammation of the colon. Yeah, yeah. I've had an amazing medical team, and... I don't, wi- I don't wish an autoimmune disease on anybody, but it's interesting to be in that world, in the medical world, where you're in and out of doctors, and you're trying different medications, and you're trying to get it under control, and you're mm-hmm. adjusting life to li- live with, with the condition, and that's, that's, that's done a lot for me. Um, I'm not working, thankfully, because I have a, I have a loving family that, that helps me survive. But that also has allowed me to instead of doing things that I'm required to do to 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 make money to live I'm able to do what I want to do mentally and physically okay so I've got a good medical team and they recently got me on a really powerful med that's allowed me to run and I've been running just over a week every day without running for about two years so um I've been excited every day I've been been on a endorphin high I guess yeah but as far as, as mentally um, I, I live right next to a uh, fabulous university, and the kids, the kids fo- um, love the community. So they allow they allow community members to participate in their student activities, which which I'm very very thankful for. And I, so I do a lot of sustainability, and I've learned to. to as, at times it's frustrating, but at times it's enjoyable to learn how to. We talk about this carbon footprint, but that's kind of that's really the, the scientific of it. Is live without having just to buy everything that looks cool. Mm-hmm. And wanting to not buy all, everything that looks cool because I want not to waste resources.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: That uh, materialism aspect. Of right, it, right, right, right. But it's also frustrating sometimes to see other people do things that I'm learning not to do, like fast fashion and mm-hmm. always having the latest iPhone, latest stereo, getting rid of things before they're really used up their life. Yeah just so they have something that's better, sounds better, is, works better, works faster. So,
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, backing up a bit,
0: I'm really curious. What was the effect of your father on you like? What
1: was, he seems like he was a strong figure for you. De- definitely, definitely. That's a good thing you picked up on. Um, my parents divorced when I was about 12 years old, okay. and it was a pretty rough divorce. I don't remember a whole lot being so young. But I do remember my my stepdad, who my mom's n- now married to, we kind of like didn't jive at the beginning. But now we're, he's one of the coolest guys I know, and he okay. he really he really took all the kids in and took them in as his own. Yeah. And to be clear, so your father to you is your stepfather, he's really no, is that what no, you'd say, or well, he he, he he's, he's a strong figure, but my my biological dad, he he's 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 there. He he's kind of the teacher. Um, but when they when they divorce. I, I, took, I took on to dad and my sister took on to mom so we kind of split. Okay. We split. I was living with dad and sister was living with mom but we did a lot of the guy things. You know, my dad was a, was a part-time martial arts teacher. Okay. Volu- he volunteered with the local YMCA so I did, a, I did a small bit of that but he really liked to, to do the baseball thing. Okay. He knew all the rules. He had memorized the rule book. He was my you know, little league coach and all that and he just loved that and he still talks about the time when the umpire didn't know all the rules, but the commissioner of our little league kind of like had an ego about him that he had to always be right. So we, we lost a challenge when we could have maybe won the league. I don't know. See, but my, my dad was, was passionate about that, and that was, that's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. But, um, so and how did I, it- I did quite a bit of wrestling, which I was never very good at, but I liked doing it. I was, I was absolutely horrible. I don't know how I did 10 years, and, and it was still the worst guy on the team. <laughs> it, it,
0: but I, I liked it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were some lessons he taught you? Is there anything that
1: sticks out to you? Well, he he taught me he taught me the rule, the rule book of baseball for sure. And every time there's some, something weird, he he likes when, when weird things happen. And he, he has to pull out some obscure rule <laughs> that like most people don't even know. Yeah. So so I, so I I end up watching those like unwritten rules of baseball kind of YouTube videos yeah. or the rules that you, you don't you can do but like you just don't like things like that and uh, i don't know i don't don't know if there's any like like one rule he taught me or anything like that okay um and he always he always had he always had a good garden and i guess maybe part of my my plant love came from the garden but i came from his garden everybody's always impressed he always he always has like the best I don't know how he does it, yeah. but he claims he he claims one of the things he does is he goes to, he brings a little little soil sample every few years over to CSU and they got a nice cool soil lab and I'm pretty proud of that being mm-hmm. coming from CSU yeah and he gets it tested and they make him a his own little fertilizer and everything and he he swears by that so it must be something good because his garden is pretty dang pretty dang wonderful yeah I'm getting a lot of I get a lot of his extras when I go and visit <laughs> him so but. I don't know. My, Dad and I just bonded, and we just kind of learned to do the guy things, I guess. Watch baseball, watch guy movies. I don't know. And do stuff, right? Like a, yeah, do a yeah. lot of sports. Like, like like we went, we went, and we went, and we went, and we watched. When I was a kid, we went and watched Michael Jordan play basketball. Yeah. When he played, when he played, when the Nets used to be in New Jersey, I don't remember the game at all. I, I just <laughs> remember we had that experience. You know, we went to Yankee, we went to the old Yankee Stadium. Yeah. Yeah. We try, we try to get to baseball once a year, but it, it's gotten a little expensive. So, yeah, I don't know what we're gonna do this season. Yeah. but um, I, I, also, I also like like staying with the running because I'm, I'm pretty competitive so it's kind of hard for me to be on a team and it was hard for me in school when I had to do team projects because yeah. I want it to be done right and I want to, to know it's going to get done mm-hmm. so I guess that's why I kind of shifted away from all the team sports and got into the solitary sports because then I have 100% control over what happens Yeah. whether I trained enough whether I didn't train enough whether I fuel right during the race or whatever, yeah, yeah. or I choose the right clothing. Yeah. It's all under my control. It's but, a, I, but I have a lot of these, these power, powerful other people that I can ask questions yeah. of, like, like I did to get into the ultra world. Yeah, yeah. And I can tell you like to be
0: kind of on your own in a sense, right? But it seems like you also like to teach, right? Uh, to me, it, it seems like there's a teacher in you. Is there not? What would you say?
1: I do like to teach, but I also don't feel like I'm the expert at anything. Yeah. I feel like I have a little bit of knowledge about a lot of things. And together, that might be the perfect combo I get, maybe. You know, I want to get a master's degree, but I I don't know in what. Mm -hmm. Um, And with the disease, I haven't been able to put a lot of thought into that. So so I don't know. I I like to teach. But then again, I also like to learn learn from the best of the best. Okay. I got you. Like when I watch all those videos, you know, as people people are now doing post race interviews for for mm-hmm. what we talked about earlier, the Western States Endurance Run, and yeah. there's other big races. I like to see their post interviews to see like what they thought went wrong, mm-hmm. you know, because I know they didn't they didn't think it went perfect. A hundred miler never goes perfect when you're when it's a hundred miles. Yeah, so yeah, that's a long distance. Like many the, things can go wrong. The go- right? the goal the goal is to, to do it in 24 hours. But, yeah yeah that's, that's, the big, that's the big the 24. Is that the benchmark? For right a, a lot of people kind of kind of a benchmark, but the professionals will do it in about 15 to 17. Yeah. and we also had the third fastest woman this year, and that was kind of cool. And now with um, we have so much social media, it's kind of cool to see professional journalists get people in candid moments. Mm. like that third fastest lady they had they had there's a video of her on her. Instagram page of her walking across the football field after the race and she's kind of like yeah, it looks like, like a duck walk like a shuffle <laughs> and it's like that, that that clues into me that, that she's a real person she's mm. not just born fast yeah. you know that she, she worked at it That maybe she was born fast but she also worked at it and she also does have the same failures that I have when I yeah. maybe don't train enough and yeah. I do one more mile than I should have done or something like that mm-hmm. And get the duck walk too so <laughs> yeah yeah but and then we also have we also have while we're on the subject of sports we also have the tour de france coming up and mm-hmm. um we have we have we have a little, we have a young kid who won as the the youngest the youngest rider he won the actual tour de france and he was also the youngest rider and then he came back and did it again so we're gonna see we're gonna we have some exciting yeah who's that <sighs> do you know I, I forget his name i forget his name but he's he's a european kid okay so yeah but I, have, I don't remember all their names they all have crazy names yeah. and they switch teams and mm-hmm. i watch it all for the the excitement of the bike crashes and <laughs> when they're riding in the in the rain and they're going on these big turns and you give a big gasp that are that 95 of them made it and only one guy left the course and it's pretty exciting when they're and they challenge each other up the hills and yeah these yeah. hills are not will be and the tv makes the hills look really really not steep when and, and then the announcer will say this is 25 percent and you're like whoa yeah yeah, yeah. it's exciting and then they're going downhill at 40 miles an hour <laughs> and like things i can only dream of having the courage to do yeah. yeah 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 it's
0: exciting you're so vulnerable on a bike you know i feel like especially going 40 miles an hour down
1: a hill you know well you are you are vulnerable but like it's a it's a it's a time over 21, 21 days. So if if, if I get fi- if the guy gets five seconds every single day, he, he builds up. So he really they really fight for those few seconds, which yeah. is which is really cool. And then there's the guys at the finish line, you know, that maybe not maybe not good hill climbers, but they they can go fast for a hundred meters, and mm-hmm. that, that that's exciting too. Even though even though I'm the hill climber type and I'm the I'm the out there all day type, I still I still enjoy those guys when their their bike is going. Yeah, you know yeah. swaying side to side they're bending that bike almost in half it, mm-hmm. it, it feels it seems like when you're watching it on tv and they really they hit good speeds and yeah. really push that bike to its limits mm-hmm. it's, it's amazing yeah
0: yeah what um why do you think somebody should have a garden
1: should have a what a garden a garden a garden um i was ne- i was never about the garden because i i was never very good at growing stuff and plus i live in a in a condo and, and everything. I don't really have a whole lot of space. It's my own. But as I got into sustainability, I've seen programs. I've seen a lot of talk about food deserts. That's where people, you know, maybe the only thing they have within 50 miles is a 7-Eleven or, or a gas station, and they mm-hmm. really can't get healthy food and all that. And we're also talking now about how Russia um, ho- hoarded. I don't know how they got I'm not. I didn't see all the news on how they got it. I'm assuming they, they stole it and Ukraine is 40% of the world's grain and a lot of that grain goes to cattle and stuff like that which it shouldn't be but and then one of the local nurseries does a give back to the community type thing where you can bring in your extra produce and stuff so i feel like um with the way, with the way the world is and we're we're hitting drought conditions we just had upwards of 30,000 cattle dying in in Kansas because of the drought, Hmm. which was a shocker to a lot of people who aren't in the industry, but not a shocker to the farmers. And it could continue. It's not like it's a one-time deal. It could continue that we need to maybe become anarchist, maybe have communities where we support support each other Hmm. as best we can and say, hey, I got extra this, I got extra that. Mm -hmm. Maybe trade skills as opposed to trading money. What is... And a, and, and a garden might be one way we, c- we can trade skills. You know, yeah. I got extra tomatoes. Here, have a have some tomatoes on your pizza. You got extra, you got a bread baking skills. Mm. Give me some pizza dough, and, and together we'll make a pizza.
0: Yeah, yeah. What does it mean to be an anarchist? Exactly.
1: Would you say you are, personally? I say I I don't know if I if I subscribe to all the anarchist ideas, but but I believe I believe one of the strong tenements of anarchy is. Uh, community that's that does it, that supports itself you know we don't need to bring in the police we don't need to bring in elected officials we kind of work it all out together okay and based on the fact that everybody wants to, to feel valued everybody kind of does right to everybody else like you know yeah. you're not gonna you're not gonna steal when somebody else, when you want to feel valued in the community
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah so you like that part uh, of anarchy, yeah, yeah, right yeah okay The self-sufficiency of the community, and the fact that once we're self-sufficient, we don't want to do wrong to the community. Like now, we have all these things that are kind of like telling us that we're worthless. You know, we have police out there saying we have to enforce these laws. We have we have to pay taxes. We have to do this, and so we're always trying to fight back, and we're wanting to violate the laws. And I don't know if that's healthy, but a community where everybody wants to feel valued and everybody values everybody else is is a cool community. That happens a lot in the running community, and that's one thing I like about this ultra community. When, you know, if you if you get on the internet and you start watching some of these people's finish races, there'll be a lot of people standing at the finish lines. Whereas, you know, you go to a 5K race and everybody just like, I got the I got the medal, I'm outie, I'm outie, Mm -hmm. or I got my free beer, I'm outie. You know, whereas in this ultra community people stay. Even even the professional, the guy who wins the race, some of them talk about I stay there and I shake every I you know, I congratulate every person that finishes the line, even if it takes another 10 hours. Yeah. That's after I've gotten, you know, a fresh change of clothes. I've gotten maybe a bowl of soup. But I come back to the finish line and I congratulate everybody, even though I'm in a different league than they are. They still finished and we're still got the same belt buckle. Yeah. So I'm
0: going to try to summarize. Do you think it's mostly because of all these rigid structures we have over us that that's why a lot of people feel maybe dispossessed and depressed and Turn to criminal behaviors and maybe to shed some of these so so many rigid structures and so many systems. Is that
1: for for some people it it, it might end up end up in homelessness and and if not homelessness, criminal behavior in and out of the jail system because the jail system doesn't give us a way to get out of it very easily because they're making money too. Mm -hmm. But for other people, I think it might just be. If I keep doing what I'm doing, I'm not going to get in trouble, and that doesn't improve the system. Hmm. You know, when they're not paid enough, they might have to work a second job. They really can't. They don't have the time. Once they, once they give up some time to do what changes the system, they're kind of falling behind. And it's kind of we need a system where everybody can contribute what they want to contribute. You know, if I continue to work at a grocery store like I was in my past job what am I contributing that I want to contribute? Mm. What I really want to contribute is I want to do what I'm doing now, you know, get rid of trash, get things in the recycle bin that need to be in the recycle bin. Cause I know how, I know how to do that. Everybody yeah. else might not know how to do that, but they know how to give me their trash. Yeah. And so if they're, if they're willing to give me their, their trash, I'm willing to use my powers and, and then they, they know how to maybe fix a car, which I don't know how to do Or they maybe know how to change my bike tire. Yeah. yeah. So I can keep riding my bike and everything. And like, you know, we all do that. We all, we all, Make each other heroes, kind mm-hmm. of. Because if I can do what I want to do, I feel very empowered. Yeah. And yeah. That make- and if we empower everybody to do what they want to do as opposed to what they feel they have to do yeah. just to make, make another dollar, you know. Mm-hmm. So if I had, the, you know, in, our, in the system we have now, if people had six months to find a job, they might find the perfect job. But in that six months, you're not making money. So it's kind of like you go down to the next grocery store, you go down to the next record store, you go down to the next coffee shop, and you just take what people are offering to not fall behind mm. and that's a little, that's a little frustrating. Mm-hmm. I, I like to see it when, when, when we have all these professional runners out there because when they're not racing, they're not, I don't consider them as being sponsored. You know, the sponsor wants those races, the sponsor wants those wins, but all those days in between they're doing what they want to do and it's, and it's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. And it's now, very- now that we have social media, we can encourage people to do what they want to do because we can put things up there so easily. We can see so many amateurs. We don't, we don't, it doesn't, it's not just NBC, ABC. It's also YouTube, Instagram, mm-hmm. pictures. and Yeah, yeah and it's, it's, it's beautiful to see people doing what they want to do. Like, like my buddy, He's, uh, um, who, I, who I, I emulate kind of a little bit. He's going to run the Leadville 100 for the second year in a row. And he just, he just went down this past weekend and did the Leadville training camp they, they, where, you can, where you can preview the course different parts of the course and run with other people from all over the country who are also going to run the level 100 but he put up these pictures that were like he had Hope Pass he had running through Aspen Forest and they were just the most gorgeous photos which if we didn't have this kind of amateur social media I wouldn't be able to see all that and get, yeah. get really inspired to like say hey I just started running again when am I going to be able to get up in the mountains when am I going to get See that herd of cow that I that I remember seeing a couple of years ago when I ran two and a half hours. Yeah. So it's, it's, it, we can also inspire each other to to be stronger than than we would have been. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I love that philosophy in that um, that work ethic of like you don't get paid to get pick to pick up garbage and stuff like that. You do that because you love to do that, right? And it's also it's also a
1: mental stimul mentally stimulating because I know that. This, this, one of the things I tell people is, if we don't get active, who's going to be active? Mm-hmm. And right now, it's old white men and old people running our political system because they're the ones that vote, and they're the ones that get into Congress, and everybody else is just kind of disenfranchised and says, well, everybody else is kind of left out in the dark. We don't know how to navigate the system because we don't have the money. So, so we haven't figured out how to navigate that system, so we're kind of like, we don't know, that system is like foreign to us, so we're just not gonna vote, we're just not gonna play in that system, but that system is important, and we need to, we need to be playing in the, in the political system. Yeah. Um, and I tell people that you gotta get out there, but you can't do everything you wanna do. I would love to advocate for kids, I would love to advocate for early childhood education, I would, I would love to advocate for, you know, healthcare in poor countries, but I can only do so much at, at the level that I want to do it at. Yeah. And, I, and I choose, one of the things I choose is sustainability. I choose women's rights because I, I, live, I live, I almost live in that community from where my home is. Being near a Planned Parenthood, being near a university of young people who are just now figuring out that healthcare is important. Insurance, in this country it sucks, but insurance is important. And I get involved in all the things on campus, mm-hmm. uh, getting people excited to vote. Um, and when politicians come to campus and stuff like that so we can only do so much and the biggest thing i get into is outside of the local locally i'm into animal rights and i think that's they always they always talk about all these droughts and all these things and they the data data shows that the leading cause is animal agriculture and we got to kind of trying to get people educated to say we need to make a change. We Mm -hmm. can do that personally. And that's one of the cool parts is the little changes we can make personally affect the bigger. Yeah, yeah. Um, Circling back,
0: I love the intention you set for your day and everything like that. What would you say, I know you say you encourage those people, but what would you say about the people that if they were given liberty to do whatever they want and they had free reign, but they didn't make use of their time. They weren't productive with it, right? I think some people worry about that, the other side of people that aren't maybe as um, thrilled I I don't, I don't think
1: anybody, anybody wastes their time. They might say, I get bored. They might say, I'm not doing enough. But they choose. We, we all have the same, as they say, we all have the same, when I, when I run, people get to the starting line and they say, I didn't train enough. Well, we all have the same 24 hours in the day. So, and if we look at somebody like, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, they ask him, why, why do you train from 8 to midnight? He's like, well, I'm this, this, and this. I'm a student. I, I have a job to have, and that's the time I get. And mm-hmm. we know what happened to him. He was the youngest person ever to win some of the largest competitions there were. Yeah. And, yeah. If, you, and if, you, if you do his arm measurements, they're bigger than my head. So <laughs> he, and he's still a quite, a, quite a big guy, and he yeah. got into politics, and he made yeah. waves. Yeah. But what about the people that don't have that work ethic? I don't think it's not about having that worth. It. I, think, I think it's, it's more about being discouraged. Okay. And I think the people that understand it, I think are the ones that need to, as one of their daily affirmations or whatever, need to pick up another person and, and encourage them and say, Hey, look, and when you stand next to somebody, somebody at a picket line, say, Hey, we're doing good here. C- keep this going or choose, yeah. choose that one thing that, that, were the two things that you're passionate about, and go for it. Okay. if you're passionate about guns, go for it. Advocate for good gun legislation, If you're, av- you know, whatever it might be. Because there's a lot of things I'm passionate about that I just don't have the time for. If I, you know, if I can only choose two or three things to really do them correctly and do them with the best of my intentions, I can only choose two or three things. I can't do everything. But yeah. you know? if, yeah. if I chose everything to do, I'd be doing something different every day. Yeah. And 365 days is not you know, one thing a day is not enough for each individual thing, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, It's even more important after this weekend to be very passionate about those one or two, you know, those few things that you're really passionate about. Yeah. What happened this weekend? Well, this weekend we had, um, on Thursday and Friday, we had some very powerful decisions by the Supreme Court of the United States, and... Well, let's back up. One of the things that, that, that frustrates me about these decisions, and they, were, they were concerning guns and abortion rights. And one of the things that, that frustrates me <coughs> is that when some of these people got elected or got nominated, they lied. And one of my favorite politicians, AOC, Andrea Ocasio-Cortez, who, who leads a very diverse and very special district at, at it, in the middle of New York City, which which is which is wonderful that a, a person comes out of that district as much power as she has. Mm-hmm. Being a woman, and maybe maybe she might even be our first woman president, I'd be happy about that. But there's some other women out there that are pretty powerful that, that I'd I'd hope to be our first woman president. I hope it, I hope it's sooner rather than later. But AOC made the made the huge point, and she's been harping on this point, and she's not shy, you know, which I like that. When you get passionate about something, you can't be shy about it. And she said that when the when these Two or three justices were doing their nomination questioning. They lied. They said, Oh, yeah, abortion rights are uh, in the Constitution. We're not going to touch them. And uh, we, we saw what happened this weekend. Hmm. So I, th- I think the, the church has a way to, I think maybe their religion has taught them to say what people want to hear and then do what they want to do, hmm. which makes a lot of distrust. Yeah. Distrust for who and in what? I think I think it's distrust for the, for the whole system that we're tr- all trying to be players in. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and we have these old old white men and and old people controlling, it, and they know how it works, and they have the time to figure it all out. They're creating distrust in everybody else who who wants to play in it just part time. Mm. So. That's one that's one of my things is, is educating people and getting people to pick up that ballot and yeah at least fill it out yeah and i and we had we had a good good discussion this weekend. The crowd was small, so we didn't do our march, but we had a good discussion about gun legislation and I said, and somebody asked, how do we get people to kind of start having the conversations that need to be had and so we vote we vote like we should vote well, people aren't voting, and I think the, 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 the first step is to get people to i, I I said it like this. When we, I'm, I'm on social media quite a bit and we see those National Geographic comes out with these, these, these amazing, amazingly wonderful videos and there's, there's two types of videos that we see and one of them is, is of these birds or fish There's there's thousands of them and they all move without hitting each other and they all do what the whole group wants mm. to do and I think that's where we're, where we're getting at and where the fish, they all move together and their shark comes and they scare the shark away even though they're a six-inch fish and the shark is 22 feet or whatever, they scare the shark away. But they're all doing what the group wants to do, and I think that's where we need to get as a community, do, do what the community wants to get. But right now we're at the point of the, of the hawk. The hawk is, is solitary. The hawk comes and, and swoops the cat off the, off your back porch and takes the hawk, takes away. It's still a beautiful video of the hawk needs to eat and still a, a beautiful video. But as a community, we're that cat. We, we're, we're kind of... What do we do? We're failing, and I think we need to just we need to play in the system, learn to fail, and then we learn that we don't want to fail. Right now, we're just saying the system is such a failure that we're not even going to play in the system, but we need to play in the system. What um. What
0: would it look like for that for us to be that school of fish? What actually would we have to
1: well? I think I think maybe the first four first major major election year we might have a very close presidential election where everybody's just randomly voting. They're saying, I know this person on the ballot. And we might get kind of a mix, 50-50, down the ballot. Some people say, I know this name, I know that name. They, they don't really know what Democrat means. They don't really know what a third party means. They don't really know any of that. Mm-hmm. And it'll be kind of floundering. We'll kind of like just be randomly choosing, say, I want to get this, get this crap over with. And then they'll see that, 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 they had, that it, the system changed and they had a part in the system changing um, but it wasn't what they wanted. So maybe the next time they might research a little bit, they might ask me, they might ask their friends that they know are politically savvy. And they might say, well, my friend steered me a little wrong. He steered me a little too this way or that way. Mm -hmm. So now I'm going to do my own research and they take the 10 minutes and research and the system will completely radically change to what the, the community needs. Maybe we might drop. One of the major parties, and go to these other parties like they do in Europe, where they have you know ten or so parties, and there's parties that run on one single issue, which we can't imagine that here. Yeah, a a candidate running on you know maybe homelessness, or running on animal rights, or running on just one single issue, and everybody says, oh, they're the radicals, but they get they get politicians in power for just one single issue. I think, but first, I think we need to we need to play in the system, learn to fail, then learn we don't want to fail correct ourselves. Hmm. Do you think that... And that could look like a lot of things. That might not necessarily be just politically. That might be getting back to our, our community that supports itself. Yeah, yeah. Because the
0: former statement to me is the attempt of our group to make effects to the system at the national scale. And then what you just said is an attempt to make an effect at the communal scale, right? And so do you think we should be focusing more nationally or should we focus more I communally? I think we should be
1: doing a little bit of both. Okay. But at the, at the local level, we have our, individu- our individuality has more effect. Like when you go to church on Sunday, you're only standing up and there's only 100 people there. Whereas nationally, there's 300 and some odd million people that you have to, you know, you can only drive so much. And I think when we, when we get the local, we figure out, they kind of steer us, because we vote locally, and those people will say, hey, look, you voted for me, you wanted what I want, so if you want what, what I want nationally, here's my recommendation. Yeah. They'll kind of steer us, and we'll get, we'll get our heroes, we'll get our people who are speaking to us, as opposed to, like, people who are just like hey you should vote for my guys we don't really know what we're voting for and we vote based on totally on name and like we saw how well that went with Donald Trump we've seen Mm -hmm. how well that goes with Silent Biden and you know yeah yeah we have had a a black president we've had one and that's kind of shocking because you know yeah African American people aren't nothing in this as far as being a part of the society you know in Mm -hmm. Colorado they're 11% of the population in a white white agricultural state yeah they're still 11 percent going mm-hmm. down to the south and there will be quite more they'll be the farmers they'll be the yeah so kind of
0: yeah yeah i agree with um we need I, to I think the
1: biggest thing we might be that and one of the one of the one of the problems is when we get home from work we turn on our tv we get we get exactly what we want to hear we get our feel good movies we get our feel good tv shows we get to laugh we get all the crazy killings at the beginning of the news that, that are nowhere near us. in some Tennessee. And then when it becomes Columbine, we're like, well, maybe it's here, but that's just once. That's not going to happen again. And it hasn't happened again. And so we kind of, we go back to our feel-good movies, but we got to, then we need to maybe turn off our TVs and go out and, for a little bit every day, get engaged in our community. Mm-hmm. And that could look like a lot of things to a lot of people. That could be our garden. That could be, saying hi to the neighbor, having a a drink on the porch and watching the guy ride his bike and waving. Um, It could be saying hi to the mailman. It could be, you know, a lot of things. Yeah. Putting a little activism sticker on the side of your mailbox. It could be a lot of things. Yeah. We need to get engaged to find out that, I don't think we, I don't think we found out that we want to be engaged. Once we, once we start being engaged, we want to be engaged. And then we want to be educatedly engaged. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
0: And there's a big difference because that t v watching is very passive, but then everything you were just describing is very active right yeah that, that, that's a true point to be active too, being, into your community being engaged right? In, as
1: opposed to just sitting there and shutting down and not improving our our mental gym, not not doing our mental mental engagement you know that's one thing that i, I find that i'm not now that I'm not working I'm able to really exercise my mind and that and that's huge yeah finding out that and I, and, I, and, I, and I show a lot more emotion now that I get passionate about things. You know, When I see a garbage truck go by, it's kind of like, how can we make that garbage truck come only one day less a week because we can get people to have less garbage? Mm-hmm. Or how can we get one more bike on the road? Get that bike lane just six inches wider so that so your grandma wants to get out there and ride. How can we get one more electric bike so that big bad Joe who's wants to lose 200 pounds, gets out there and rides, you know? Yeah, yeah. Once you can get engaged, you can, you can get passionate and you can actually yeah. start learning the things that you want to learn. Do you have any
0: projects currently that you're working on for any of that? I, I do
1: not, but, the, but the, the big project that I'm always, always looking forward to and now that it's summer, I love the summertime. I mm-hmm. absolutely love it because I can get out there late. Like last night, I was out there biking at 9 9.30 at night and it was still, wasn't yet 100% dark and I like that, mm-hmm. I, I, you know? But the, the, the projects I always like now that I am I hang out with a little bit of the students is it, in the fall and, and the spring we get out there for the CSU sports the students get paid I don't get paid but, but I get to go to the sports for free and um, it's gonna be exciting we have a new football coach we have a lot he, he's totally changed up the philosophy of how to um, bring in players so, so he's, he's doing he's gonna change up the style of play I'm, I'm eager to see that he he's really passionate about it they've you know, with this amateur amateur social media, they've mic'd him up a few times at practice and it's just, just awesome to see that. They've been doing these crazy things where they ask, these, ask, ask the players like these, these, these crazy questions that really have no answer. Mm-hmm. Like how many, how many holes does a pair of pants have kind of thing? <laughs> or how many holes does a straw have? And it's kind of cool to see all of these, these big muscly guys who you think of, you know, their, their, their goal in life is just to hit, a brick, hit another guy as hard as they can hit him. Get getting touchy feely, Um, but I'm I'm excited about getting back to the sports because you know we just had our we're we're the the first non-power five school to have a a a player in football and a player in basketball Hmm. drafted into the major major sports leagues in the first two rounds in the same year. So I'm excited about that because our basketball team was really good and it's really fun to see that, and that makes it a lot more fun to do the do the sustainability that we do at those events.
2: Hmm.
1: How do those connect with sports events and sustainability? What's that like? Um. Well, the, the, I, I think what's happened with sustainability is when I was a kid, recycling was kind of the new big thing to do. And so everybody, everybody knew what to do and they knew that they had this little blue bin they would throw all the recyclables in and they would take it out to the, the end of the curb and everybody knew that was, that was the ritual. Everybody did it. But now everybody's like, well, I've heard too much about it. I've heard too much about it. I'm not going to I'm gonna turn my brain off to the recycling and everything like that. I know how to do it, and everybody's kind of forgotten how to do it. Now there's another generation coming along, and they were never educated like I was to be passionate about it. And when I go to these sporting events, we have a setup. It's, you know, it's the composting, recycling, and trash. But when people can come to me and hold up an item, and I I point to the bin, they throw it in there. I get excited that they did it right. They get excited that they learned something. And they go home with a little bit more knowledge that they know where to put that glass bottle now. Okay. And maybe that translates into that, that little blue bin getting used a little, just a little bit more yeah. at home. And hopefully yeah. that's what I would like to hope. Yeah. Maybe they get a slightly smaller trash can and they save money and they, yeah. Yeah. And, and so this is. And, was, they, and at, the end of the, at the end, they're thankful that it's being done. Yeah. And so is this with a group on campus that yeah, you guys yeah, go yeah. Out yeah. We have? Yeah. It's called the, the Carl State University Zero Waste Team. And the university has also seen that we've done such a powerful job that we, I like to say that we, we divert at least 80% of all the trash into compost or recycling so it doesn't go to the landfill. And they see such a powerful result in that. They might be saving money. I don't, I don't know what the ultimate goal of the university is. That's probably what their goal is, is to save money. Mm-hmm. So they pay the students 15 bucks an hour while we're at these sporting events. And I think that's really cool. Oh, yeah, and is, is that the main thing you guys do as a group? Yeah, that, that's, that's the main and thing we do. We've also um, partnered with faculty and stuff within that do other sustainability things. Like we had a project where one of the faculty members had us come and we would make, we made like basically recycled paper out of other junk and stuff and it came out really cool. Mm-hmm like with different imprints in the paper and yeah. Like, yeah. It's like, it's like when you get that fancy card paper that has all like the leaves in it and stuff. We kind of made that from scratch and stuff, stuff, stuff like that. And yeah. Trying to reach out to other groups and participating in other university functions, making them more sustainable. Mm-hmm. Nice. So I, I, I really like that, that we're kind of, cause we know that they say by 20, 2050 or whatever the number is, I don't even think it's that long. The local Larimer County landfill is going to be full. Mm. Well, what do we do next? Where, yeah. we, where does it go? We can't just keep putting things everywhere. Mm-hmm. There is no everywhere forever. Mm-hmm. And we know that with the drought, that as people use too much water and with the way the laws are written, people are encouraged to use too much water so they don't lose their water rights and stuff like that. That when the, there's no more water, the ground sinks. Like, and just last night I saw a photo of a guy next to like a phone pole and he had he had dates on it. And it said like 1925 at the very top of this phone pole. And he's at, he's at the bottom he's like 15, 20 feet lower. Yeah. And it says 1977. Like, and that's how much the, the land went down because the water went, was, was gone underneath to hold it up. So mm. it's kind of, and we're, so we gotta be, with my sustainability, I'm, I'm able to teach others how to use, le- use less. Yeah. And when we start using less, the earth can be what the earth needs to be yeah what and it it continue to be inhabitable for our species yeah what
0: are your thoughts on what i've seen and i haven't looked into it too much but what i that a lot of our recycling isn't diverted to places where it gets recycled do you
1: know what i mean by that you're, you're 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 talking about like the the end the end product's not, not we're we're putting it where we need to put it but it's not coming out the back end as a recycled product. Yeah, we put it in the bin and then I think within the
0: last half decade or decade like we were shipping it to China to be processed and they have been denying us lately. Right,
1: China's denying us so we got to be even more proactive with being le- being more minimalist. I I don't think we need to get rid of our cars and all that. That that would be, that'd be a great utopia if we were if every city in the world was you know, like these great European cities where people are riding their bikes. They don't, they don't even wear a helmet. Mm-hmm. You know, you see a bike rack and in a spot where we'd only put, let's say, two bikes, they put five bikes. They put a bike on top of the rack. They, they lay bikes on top of bikes and, you know, lock bikes to bikes or however they do it over yeah. there, you know. I've seen all these wonderful pictures that are amazing. And I think as we get passionate about the things that we need to be passionate about, like we, choose, we go back and we choose our two or three, maybe, at most, five things that we get super passionate about, we're going to learn... One of the things we're gonna all learn, and we're gonna learn from each other if, if, that, if sustainability is not our passionate, one of our passionate checklist things, we're gonna learn that we need to be checking our stuff and asking for more sustainable stuff. Because when we start asking, the politicians start writing the laws the way we want them. And one of the things that some states have been doing is um, it's, it's called producer responsibility laws where they charge the producer of the waste for that waste mm. so it gets it gets people like coca-cola to stop using plastic and maybe use a recyclable glass or use cans or Ruben use them yeah. because they're getting charged for what they dump on everybody else whereas 10 years ago five even five years ago they just dumped it on everybody else and it was up to you and i to just deal with it and yeah Coca-Cola didn't pay anything for it, so they just used the thing that was the cheapest, lightest, yeah. easiest to get to you. And what's that called? What was that name again? Producer responsibility, Producer responsibility something. Okay. But And they've had very good success with it in the state of Maine. Okay. The state of Colorado is starting to do stuff like that. Um, one of the largest recycling, EcoCycle, which is down in, in Boulder, has come out with an um, electric garbage truck. So it's kind of like, we're, we're hmm. getting there. And up here, we have transport. They're getting a handful of electric buses that can go all day. Yeah, we, so we're getting there. Yeah. We're learning, and and it, hopefully it gets to the people who are kind of like apathetic that, that the system's going to get better. Yeah, I guess what I'm curious about is those efforts you do
0: with the students to make sure that waste is diverted responsibly. Does that feel like you're almost undercut a little bit when broad scaley brought on the broad scale where? Waste is going to the landfill, and then where our recycling is going is not going to places where it gets recycled. So does that feel like it kind of undercuts
1: your efforts right now? One of the things I like about college students is for the first time in their life, they have nobody making the rules for them. They're not living in a home mm-hmm. where they're not, where they're not the, the leading head figure of the home. So now they have to make their own rules. They've kind of been steered in, in, a, in a direction by their parents to say, hey, eat your veggies, eat your fruit hey, maybe this is where we buy our stuff because it's better for the environment. But now they have to make their own, their own rules. So when, when, my, when my group gets out there, the Zero Waste team gets out there, we, can ha- we do things like lug your mug and we'll, we'll, we'll bring out coffee and we'll say, we have no container for it. You gotta bring your own container. Maybe, maybe the first time they see us, they're like, oh, bummer. I didn't bring a container, but second time, they're all about free coffee because they got to get up at eight AM, and they're they're used to getting up at noon mm-hmm. when they were living with mom and dad. So they start bringing their own container, but maybe not this, not the first time. Maybe not the second time, but when they do it five or six times, one of the things in their backpack is that mug, along with their books, along with their notebook, because they might get to get that free coffee again. And then after they've gotten that free coffee enough times, then they bring it to. McDonald's, they bring it to Starbucks, they bring it to the yeah. pizza place to get their soda now. It starts to become a habit. Right, really, and, yeah. just, and it's cool to see that. And it's cool to, to help them make the rules for their life when they, mm-hmm. they're kind of laying that framework now that mom and dad are like, well, we, we, we kind of didn't like that I got in trouble. So what can I do differently to have a better rule yeah. in, my, in my world? Yeah.
0: What do you, would you consider yourself a minimalist then? It kind of sounds like you have those values. I
1: have a lot of the values. I wouldn't consider myself a minimalist. If you've seen the movie about the minimalist, they claim that they travel with only 30 items. I have way more than 30 items. I have a little bit of the compulsion, the shopping compulsion that a lot of uh, Americans have. But I've I've stopped that. But but I still have 50 million T-shirts. So I have enough T-shirts for the rest of my life. And maybe I need to get rid of a few of them because in the morning when when I look... Look open my closet and I have 40 shirts to choose from it takes yeah. me 10 minutes and that's also draining on me to take more than a, you know, 30 seconds to just choose a, just a, a t-shirt to put on for the day yeah. and one of the other things I like is that a lot of people have one of the minimalist things is people have come to the conclusion it's okay to wear the same shirt multiple days in a row mm. it's okay if that's all you've got because you don't need 30 shirts and everything Yeah. and the other, the other thing is I'm, I'm also learning we talk about it when we talk about minimalism and sustainability. When you buy that shirt, you're not just buying that shirt. You're also buying the working conditions for the workers. You're also buying all those toxic chemicals they use. And so I'm kind of researching, like, where'd that come from? Where are those people? And if I don't pay for that, then that doesn't happen. Yeah. yeah if th- I pay an extra five bucks and have it made by a college student went down to the thrift store and repainted a shirt and I paid an extra five bucks for the shirt. Am I getting better working conditions? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Am I getting better environmental conditions? Because I know, for, for example, I've seen in the animal rights world, I've seen like how they get to making leather and stuff and that's extremely toxic to mm-hmm. all their hands and all those chemicals they use to dye it yeah. and yeah. stiffen it and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. So so to speak, uh, voting with your wallet, Right. Yeah, and, yeah, and that's especially Definitely. applicable, or that practice is especially huge in the fast fashion, like you were saying, and, and I think earlier, right?
1: You got to vote more place than one in your wallet's one place to vote. The ballot is another place to yeah. vote. And I think I think, of, the, I think of, of activism as being a circle. I'm just one little stone on that circle, but the yeah. circle needs everybody on that circle. You know, even even if it's the the person who's advocating for better gun rights, I might not l- want guns, but they're advocating for better gun legislation, and that, that that's necessary to keep that circle together. And yeah. once that circle breaks apart, the whole community di- the whole community yeah. dies. I think those are
0: two really great uh, ways to think about voting, right, with your wallet and then with your ballot. I think another one that we've kind of touched on right now, throughout this conversation, is voting with your time where you put your body and where you spend right, right, your time, def- right? Right, definitely, 100%. It doesn't, it's not voting in like the normal sense, you know, but it is well, a decision you make,
1: right? You're able to talk to the right people and have, have the people who maybe know a little bit more than you know, a little, know, know things a little differently than you know, not necessarily more or less, you know maybe a little differently than you. Yeah. And you guys come to a, what might be better than what we have now, and then you take that knowledge and, you know, if you, if you tell five people, they tell five people, like when we, when we have our our mugs, you know, maybe they don't learn it the first time, but after a while, it becomes a habit and then they go to the Starbucks and now they're saying, instead of just getting the coffee, they're saying, no, I, here, fill mine. I've started doing some of that myself, mm-hmm. you know, I, I got into, a, I got into using an app called Plastic Score. Okay. And I was... And basically what you do is you, you rate businesses when, when you make a purchase. Mm. If I ever go buy a coffee, I rate them. I say, hey, did I, get a, did I get a receipt? Did I get a non-recyclable cup? How did I get my menu? Was my menu on the wall or did I get a paper menu that I ended up throwing away? Do they have compost? Do they have recycling? Whatever it might be, I rate them. And I saw where I was failing was on takeout. But why was I failing? I wasn't failing because of the business. Maybe it might have been partly the business. But I know they're doing what's what's cheapest. Yeah, they're giving me a a plastic cup that's cheap to give me to get my soda, and I walk out, and they're done with me. They got their money. That's all they care about. But I took the cup. I actively took the cup. Mm. I didn't say no. I didn't say yes. I actively, you know, I took it and I filled it, and I left with it. So so I I endorsed that plastic cup. And I noticed when I brought my own cup, the score in in the in the app went up a little bit. I'm like, oh. And so I did it on, I want the score to be as high as possible. because, like, you know, I want my favorite restaurants to get the best scores so that everybody goes to my favorite restaurants, whatever those mm-hmm. might be. Um, and I want everybody else to go to, get people to go to their favorite restaurants. So we, you know, I know in Fort Collins, we have way too many restaurants. So we, we cut down maybe, and I have fewer choices, but they're better. They're, mm-hmm. The quality's higher. And I saw that when I, when I left the restaurants, it was act, things that I could control I could change the score. So I started bringing my own stuff. Now now it's pretty it's pretty common. Yeah. I always have some I always have my utensils, a, a container and a cup. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's cool. What's that app called again? Just for It's called Plastic Score. Plastic Score. Awesome. There's other, there's other similar ones and they're they're trying to work out what's, what's the best way to rate rate these places so we get a an accurate and is a score it, based on sustainability? Yeah, so it's like a, a sustainability score, basically for yeah. Mm-hmm. That's cool. That's really cool. It's kind of like sustainability Yelp almost. And right? there's other ones where you can where you can you can write you can write the restaurants or the businesses letter emails, and mm-hmm. they'll write it, They'll do it for you. So they and through their through their system, they'll track all the letters that you write. Write the different, mm-hmm. and they'll populate. They'll, they'll have questions that you can answer, and so they'll pre populate. The email, yeah. which is kind of cool. Yeah. It makes it really quick. I can just say, oh, yeah, they had recycling. I like that. Yeah. They, had, they didn't give me napkins. So I like that. Yeah. They didn't give me utensils. So I like that. Yeah. Or, or they gave me plastic utensils. So I didn't like that. And then it will make an email, and I can send an email. But they, they keep track of all that responses. Mm-hmm. And when, they, when the company views the email and tells me, like, hey, they viewed it. Mm-hmm. Hey, they responded to it. That's cool. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's cool. So a lot of people are thinking about how do we shift behavior. And mm-hmm. I think that's a cool way to see it, not just not just behavior itself. But yeah. How do we shift it?
0: Yeah. And do you think that's a, like, if you're going to choose what primary way to go about changes is sh- shifting behavior, which would be shifting it with just people, right, by targeting people on the individual basis and not trying to target well, I think, the state, I think
1: right? Especially through things like these apps, we are targeting people individually because, yeah. you know, as yeah. I saw that my scores were failing because of things that I have a lot of control over. Maybe, maybe, maybe the restaurant, maybe I'm rating the restaurant. I want them to do something different. I want them to give me a reusable cup. I want them to encourage me to bring back my reusable cup. Yeah. But I can't guarantee that they'll do that, but I can guarantee that I can bring my own cup. So, that, so that I guess indirectly, the app did change me, did change on a personal level. yeah. yeah. Do you and that wasn't the goal. That's not the goal of the app, but it, but it worked. Yeah. And I think with, with with the increase in population, we need to be more conscious of resource usage. We got, we got all the resources. When, when, you, when you build a home built for 50 people and there's only two people living in the home, yeah, um, that's not a really good use of resources because you're also heating a home for 50 or he, cooling a home for 50. Mm-hmm. There's only two of you or yeah. three of you. Yeah. yeah. Now, if you had 50 in that home, and we didn't have 48 homeless people, that may be a good use of that home. So mm-hmm. we gotta be conscious of power more so than we were when there weren't as many people and the earth didn't take such a big hit. Yeah. Yeah. What else do you think? Hmm. And I think, I think every, every little action that we do that, that's kind of toxic is kind of a knife to the earth. The earth can take a few knives here and there, and it does. You know, we eat, we eat a plant or something and the plant grows back. So it, it sustained a knife knifing, but it, it came back from that, or like a tree yeah. gets eaten by the giraffe in the savanna, but the tree grows back. So it it's it's withstood the, the toxic, but we can't we can't like have 50 giraffes on one tree, mm-hmm. which which we're we're getting to the point where we have 50 giraffes on one tree. You know, by buying shirts, we're only going to buy you know like the avalanche just won the Stanley Cup. Everybody has to have that shirt that says 2022 on it. Mm-hmm. Well, how long are they going to wear that? Maybe after next season, maybe two seasons, and mm-hmm. then what happens to it? It gets donated, it ends up in their closet, and it just sits there, and they buy the next shirt because yeah. the, now the Yankees won the World Series, so they've got to have the World Series shirt. Well, I we can't wear both shirts. Yeah. So we've got to be careful. Yeah. What do you... And I, and I think the kid, kids, how we teach our kids is important too. Hmm. What do you
0: say about the types of people that would describe humanity as a type of cancer disease on the earth what would you think about that type of mindset
1: I think we're getting close to hu- humanity being a cancer okay. just being out of control and just getting to the point where nobody has any hope that they do it what, what they make brings them the most happiness what, what gets them the most we're almost, we're getting close to that point I think but we're, we have, you know, when we, ha, when we, we have the, the college kids coming up with student sustainability groups, you know, we, we had a sustainability little, um, it was kind of like a little, I wouldn't call it a festival. It was, it was only like five or six different little student groups. But what, what brought me hope was that there was a student group, that was all about allergy. And they wanted to have like, almost like, algae solar panels almost kind of thing. Like mm. they wanted to do like these things that I, I couldn't even imagine thinking of with algae. Yeah. And that brings me hope that there there's still people that want to change the world yeah. for the better. Yeah, And make really cool things that I, can, I couldn't even imagine. And five years ago, you would have been laughed at if you had decided you wanted to grow algae to filter the water and stuff like that. You would have been like, that's not possible. But now like, college kids are thinking about it and they had a proto- you even had a prototype product they mm-hmm. said well this is just like our first test we want to get this better and we're going to actually get it out there in another year or two before yeah. we graduate yeah so you think we might be towing close to that line
0: but you're pretty you seem pretty optimistic with the youth that are coming up that are going to
1: put them well positive- I, I, I think the way we the way we teach our students um as opposed to we we've always been i think we've been when i was in school we we say we, we teach student, we teach kids how to teach themselves, or, or give them the tools to learn on their own. And I think that, that's I think that's a new concept. And as long as we continue to do that, and we encourage kids to get involved beyond the classroom and stuff like that, you know, play sports. I learned a lot from playing sports. You know, get student activity, student groups, and if they think of something that they want to make a student group out of, make the student group out of that. Yeah. You know, like CSU's got a bass fishing team, you know. And I recently, you know, a couple years—well, it was about a year ago—I went. I went with my friend's kid to introduction in, introduction night for high school, and that's one of the things they said: if you're passionate about something, you want to make a student group. Make a student group. We'll help you. Yeah. And I think that's that's what we need more of: giving the kids the the tools rather than than the, than the actual knowledge. Mm-hmm. Give them the tools to learn it themselves. Yeah. Cause and, th- they're, com- they're being so creative that they're coming up with solutions that I'm kind of locked into a certain mind thing after so long yeah. that I- I'm not being that creative. Yeah. What do you
0: what do you say to the fact that there will be people that have differing opinions and while I think we both agree that people should do more and not sit on their butts as much so to speak right but at the same time Different people are going to have different outlooks on how to approach
1: the world, and also what well, I think, what that I think, we, look I think like. we need that because with creativity, you know, one person might be locked into something, or might one person might be wanting to design something, but they have no question yeah. to answer. Yeah. That when when you get somebody who you get the person maybe apathetic to the world, saying, "Oh, I can't lose the weight. I'm I watch ten hours of TV a day. It's yeah. so hard to go to work. I drink so much caffeine. Whatever, whatever." But then you have this. You have somebody else who can answer that question for them and say, hey, look, how about you watch TV on your treadmill? How about you, you know, whatever the solution might be? And they go, wow. And they start getting creative and, mm-hmm. you know, we have to foster this environment where we we give you the tools, you come up with the solutions as opposed to giving you the solutions. Hmm. And then when the problem comes, we're like, we can't answer that problem. All we have is solution. We got to have the tools. Yeah. And I think that the city's also doing a good part of that. We're trying to, have all these different little festivals and stuff like that and bring bring the net, having the net network happening. Yeah. Yeah. And even here we're, we're talking and, and we could, this could breed to something t- totally different than what you ever thought your podcast might be. Yeah. 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 And I was thinking, you know, why, why not the, why not this podcast sometimes be at street level as mm. opposed to in a, in a silent room, maybe mm. more like, you know, NBC nightly news when they're, when they're Given the news, and they're in the middle of Ukraine, yeah. and the guys wearing a bulletproof vest go next next to a soldier who's yeah. trying to defend his village, yeah. kind of thing. That's kind of cool too.
0: Yeah, yeah. The on the, the boots on the ground. Yeah, uh, I, think it's all, cool. so I
1: think it's all cool. And, yeah, you know. And yeah. when we have the YouTubers that are that are recording things in progress, yeah, as yeah. they do it, you know like my friend when he when he when he takes his cameras out there and he, he's riding his bike and then he's flying a drone at the same time in the middle of Mexico and he's got these gorgeous views it's it's inspiring that we can get with more all, people to get to love to make change
0: yeah. for the better with all this technology we have yeah really yeah fun. yeah it's opened it up i mean i right, right. was able to purchase all these things by myself and right, right. set this up by myself and i right.
1: I've, I've, well and we also have ways that people can can organically survive by doing that. You know, mm-hmm. we, ha- we have things like YouTube that allow people to do what they want to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And support it. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, 10 years ago, this wouldn't have been possible because, you know, it costs you money to do all this. But now if this ends up on podcast.com or whatever, or on YouTube. Mm-hmm. So you put out those commercials and I might support whatever is in the commercial because it looks like a good product. Yeah. You know, I see yeah. big lots a lot, so I might support big lots, but I don't know. But I get to see things I wouldn't have seen, mm-hmm. and it's inspiring.
0: What do you think is a, a major problem in Fort Collins right now? Because you've been here for 20 years,
1: you said, right? A major problem? I, I, don't, I, don't, consider every, any, I don't consider anything really a problem, but one thing I might, I might see is that there's a disconnect between the people who want to be sustainable and the people who are not sustainable. Because people who are not sustainable say, I I can't make a change, so I'm just going to do what I want to do. And one of the things I've been noticing lately, you know, in summertime, and I notice this just about every year, is people watering, you know, high noon, they're watering. Hmm. It's kind of like, well, you're doing what you want to do, but that's not what's best for the community. Yeah. Yeah. And now if I come along and I teach you and you put in that $100 system that's only a one-time... Cost now you can water two a.m. and you're using half as much water, mm-hmm. but now we can have three nice, cool yards with flowers and everything like that. or I teach you not to grow the grass, and but then you come along and teach me. Hey, I don't need to get rid of my car because it just because it broke down, and you can fix it. Yeah. Or if I just got that oil change a little bit sooner, and mm-hmm. it would keep my car running longer, or whatever, whatever. You know, we have to teach. We have to learn to teach each other. Mm. So. M- not just go to people who say, "Oh, I'm the teacher, mm-hmm. I'm the yoga master, or I'm the, the barista, or I'm whatever. I'm the, I got that cool title." We all had that cool title. It's just we got to figure out what that is. Yeah. So what I'm hearing is a more
0: connected and tight knit community, right? Right, right. Where we got, we got people are plugged in.
1: If we, if we could get rid of garages, when we when we pulled in at home, and we got out of the, we got out of the car, we waved to the neighbor. Well after you wave 5 times, you want to learn why that neighbor wears the funky Hawaiian shirts every day in the middle of Fort Collins. Mm. You're going to go over there and ask him and say, "Why why why do you wear a funky cool Hawaiian shirt?" Well, because I surf and I I'm, I'm from Hawaii and I go to Hawaii every every summer. Whatever it might be, you learn something about him, then you might you might pull a little bit into your own world mm-hmm. that makes you more connected, more sustainable, more community oriented. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So maybe maybe now he your neighbor teaches you, gives you maps about Hawaii, tells you, hey, there's this cool hostel. So, so your trip to Hawaii costs half as much, but you take that trip to Hawaii, which you wouldn't have taken normally. You know? and so he, he's gotten power, you got power, you've empowered each other. Mm-hmm. we got to empower all each other. Yeah. Everybody. Yeah. yeah. I like that. I really do. Um, what do you think? That's become more important as we... Um, you know, we have the landfill running out. We want to keep things running longer. Use the skills of people who know how to fix things, and we're running out of water. People who know how to have a cool-looking yeah. yard without water—all all, all yeah. kinds of things. There's all kinds of people. They're yeah. they're out there. It's just, I think they don't have that certification, that degree from school, or the city hasn't said, "Hey, you're you're our, our new city yard expert." That they don't feel that they're the expert, but they are. Mm. And everybody's got to define, everybody's an expert in something. Yeah, and so we just got to. Even the two-year-old's an expert in something. Yeah, might be cheese sandwiches, but that two-year-old's an expert in cheese sandwiches. Yeah,
0: so just get get everybody plugged in with each other, right? Right, Especially T- when totally. These issues arise in our future, like the landfill you're saying. You know, and different other issues, right, right, right.
1: right? Like when that kid gets out on gets out on the sidewalk selling lemonade, we got to get the the bike ride the bike riders riding by and buying the lemonade, and that kid's at the lemonade stand expert. Yeah get the experts and the people who need the experts together. Yeah. And we, and we all have
0: something to contribute. What would you say to the people that would maybe tell you they don't have time to do that? They don't have time to wave to the neighbor. They don't have time to talk to anybody new.
1: Well, the, the bottom line is when you have that dollar, when you die, that dollar is no good. Hmm. And so it, if we make a contribute to the, the community, that dollar is irrelevant. Yeah. You know, they always yeah. say that he who dies with the most stuff wins, but he who dies with the most stuff still dies. And we can't we can't be we can't have we can't have the mentality anymore that the more I take, the better I am. It's not about me anymore. It's about the community. Yeah. And and if the community allows me to be an expert, I feel valued. I don't need I don't need the money to, to feel valued. And I wanna feel valued. I know everybody else wants to feel valued, but yeah. how do we get them to feel valued? What would you say to the people that maybe have the time but would say no to trying to do any of these things what would you they got they got to find they got to find that that thing they're passionate about you know Hmm. maybe maybe it's um they got to try a whole bunch of things that they may or may not be passionate about you know well they might have
0: passion but they just don't see the point in meeting new people let's say what about those people
1: i think when they see other people doing it and they see the possibilities they will. They, they might yeah. be, they might be, they might not be, they might not be mm-hmm. apathetic. They might be like the late adopter kind of thing. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm a late adopter on technology, like phones and all that stuff. Yeah. When I see other people getting value out of it and doing something cool, like when texting came along, I was like, I'm never going to be, te- never going to text. Like I don't see a point of it. But then when I saw the value in it, I started texting. So when I yeah. see a value of somebody having a garden, that's not just tucky bluegrass that needs a lot of water in, in a desert, I started doing something about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when I saw all that my rocks weren't... All the rocks that the HOA had given me, I said, well, I'm going to take a little piece of those... A little bit of those rocks, move them out of the way, and put something where I... I'm feeding the wildlife. I'm feeding the bees. And they're providing me... The Disney... They're providing me the Discovery Channel without having to turn on my TV. Mm. Uh, and that that's in my mind, like it's it's crazy. I, like, I see something new, and I, and I text my mom, like, and I know she's had a squirrel a million times. When I see my first squirrel, I'm like, "Hey mom, I just got a squirrel," and she's like, "Isn't that beautiful?" I'm like, "That's totally like," and she's yeah. seen him a million times, and I've seen him a million times at her place, but now it's at my place, and, and, and like, I felt empowered that I, I brought that squirrel to my place for some reason. Mm. I, put, I left out water, I left out food, I left out, and I think we need to just empower people to so be the, be be the expert, yeah. So you without so having that to have to have that official. Yeah structure to
0: it so you'd say the antidote to the people that maybe won't budge is to just get together the people that will and they'll be almost infectious of people getting together oh definitely definitely it'll
1: be a good cancer i guess (laughs) (laughs) we've got to be a good cancer on each other yeah you know and when we when we stand out there (laughs) and we protest very maybe we we do activism for very ideas that are that are very strongly opposed yeah um find the common ground Say, hey, we, yeah. want, we want less cars on the road, yeah. but how do we want, you know? So if we get a maybe a smaller a smaller road and a bigger bike lane, there'll be more bikes, but you can still drive and you can drive faster even though you're never gonna give up your car. <laughs> well, don't you want that? I'm yeah. sure you want that. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna advocate for my bike lane. I'm gonna advocate for you to have, you know, yeah. Yeah. maybe fewer stop signs, maybe more roundabouts, maybe some, I'll advocate for you to get through the town faster even though I, I absolutely hate your car and you hate my bike. Mm-hmm. We're gonna pl- we're gonna play together. Yeah,
0: yeah. We're I always together. sorry. I always think uh, there's a, a lot a little bit of truth on each of the extremism's so to speak on the spectrum. Right there, I, I don't think anybody if they're extremist is telling the whole story, and there's some nuance in that. But for the majority speaking, and I think the best course is trying to take the best parts of those very periphery ideas and then finding that middle ground between the two, and moving forward between that right. Does that make sense?
1: That's part of it. But once we start, we say, start saying, Hey, they're, they're against my idea. We don't budge. And they say they're against my idea. Yeah. They don't, they don't budge. We yeah. become two brick walls. Once we say, you know, we're both human. See what your needs are. See what my needs are. and we're, Hey, our needs are the, kind of the same. We want to get through town faster. We want to get through town safer. I absolutely hate gasoline. You absolutely hate rubber. Mm-hmm. So you're gonna advocate for my bike lane because it gets me out of your car lane. You're gonna, I'm gonna advocate for your car lane. You know, or I'm gonna advocate for a few less stop signs because that makes you go faster and gets you out of my lane fast. You know. Yeah. We can work together and come to a solution yeah. that that benefits us both. What do you think? It does it. What does it take
0: to see the other side? Because there, there's a bit of an effort to get out of your own right, oh, definitely. definitely an corner to, and to and to see the other person's corner, right? Kind of. What ne- does the, that look there's like? There's an
1: effort to negotiating. It's not.
0: Yeah. Well, negotiating, but then also just understanding. You can just run
1: at it with a, as a knife fight, <laughs> stab the person, and, and get what you want. But that's not the best solution. There's an effort to negotiating. That, that that's a that's a um a skill. That's a real yeah. skill.
0: Well, also negotiating, but then also just uh, knowing the other person's. Tactics inside as well, right? Well, well,
1: that's the only way you negotiate. Yeah, effectively is you you have to know their know their wants and needs. Yeah, yeah, and so that's hard. Yeah, I think, and I I always look back, and that's I think that's one of my weakest skills is negotiating, and that's one of the skills as as a human rights, as an animal rights, as a people people rights activist, that's one of the skills I think I'm lacking. But I always think back when I want to try to improve that skill. I was out in California with about a 1,000 of my closest friends, I guess, as you, as you say, when you gather with a huge group of people. And we were out at, at uh, Sunrise Farms in Petaluma, California. And Sunrise Farms is the largest egg layer in the state of California. And they do uh, Amazon Whole Foods supplier. But the, the picture in my mind is, is, my, is my buddy standing in the middle of the road. We're all on one side. All the activists are on one side. All the cops and the farm workers are on the other side. And we're two brick walls. But he's trying to go between the two and say, where's the common ground? And he got to a point and, and they said, we'll let you guys go in there and, with a camera. But I got to go in there too. And we're like, all right, we'll agree to that that we can go in there and document what's going on in there with a reporter and a cameraman, and you can come in with us so you know what's going on. And Then, then, then the farmer was like, well, I don't agree with this because if we agree that you can take out every unhealthy chicken, you're going to take out all of them. So it kind of broke down a little bit, but we're, we were getting somewhere, and I think the next time around it's going to be even closer to getting to a solution. Can you back up on that story more? Like, Can you tell more about um, the lead-up to that and what it was all about? I, Way back in the seven years ago. Okay. Or seven and a half years ago, I was hanging out with a, a group at Colorado State University called Rams Organizing for Animal Rights. And in my mind I was an animal lover, but in reality I, I really was not was doing them a disservice by not being a vegan. But I still I had some of those those tendencies. And so I, I hung out with them because I knew they were animal rights. They were animal lovers too. And I was just soaking up all the knowledge from them. But I would always introduce myself because I felt, I felt bad for the situation. I would always introduce myself as a group vegetarian because I was vegetarian after another series of events. And then we ended up at a, at a, and I had already gotten my agricultural degree. So I had a good understanding of how the system works, how farmers work, how the cattle and all that. Not great, cause it wasn't in, it wasn't in animals, but it was it was enough that I knew something, and we ended up at a sanctuary for farmed animals, and these animals were just like extremely peaceful. I'm like, this, as a, a quote unquote self titled cowboy, this this isn't how I expect them to be. Like how they get to, and I I kind of like how they get to be this way. Like what made them this this calm and collected and like because we had four or five people laying across you know a cow that had horns and was 1500 pounds and didn't care what we did at all could have just like turned her head or his head and two or three of us would have been dead you know like no sweat the cow wouldn't even have had to stand up and i at the end after we were there that very same day i was like something's different here and i need to change something because i liked what i saw absolutely loved what I saw there mm-hmm. of the animals being friendly and all that. And so I went vegan and I just started getting deeper into the system and I found a group, some friends that were in, I befriended some people that were in a group called direct action everywhere, which has been rated, which has been rated one of the, one of the top 10 groups that's going to take down animal agriculture. And we're not going to stop until we do. And we get together once, once a year for, for a week, about a, a thousand or more of us and we disrupt the system as best we can with a thousand people okay and that's one of the things that's one year we ended up going to sunrise farms in petaluma california okay and we took out 30 chickens out of the or 30 we took out i think it was 32 chickens out of the out of one of the barns and i 31 of them survived that day and are still alive i hope are still alive today okay. but we documented it all and, and one of the things we try to do is get all that get people to understand what the system is is really like. It's not just a cool carton of eggs in the store. There's a lot more to it than just that. And we want people to start researching that and understanding that. Can you put more detail to that? Like what was it like going to the farm
0: and negotiating Um, and and getting the chickens and moving them and everything like
1: that? One of the things I do when I show up to situations like this, now that I've been doing it for seven years, I know I have a little bit of expertise, so I try to help the people that are newer have a good experience. So I try to do things so that I can create situations that are, that are good for the picture. For example, like we go out to the slaughterhouse out in Greeley, Greeley, which is the I think the second largest slaughterhouse in the United States, the largest cattle slaughterhouse in the United States. I'll try to stop the trucks so they can get a good picture of all the animals on the truck, kind of thing, and they get they have a good experience. I got arrested for that once, <laughs> but. <laughs> I'm okay with that because I believe in what, I, what I'm doing. Yeah, and That's the other thing about having, having a community that supports itself. You also believe in what you're doing. And you, you're bolder and you, you do bigger actions. Like when I go to these conferences and everything, I know that if I'm arrested, I'm going to get out of jail somehow, some way, because there's a thousand other people that were 800 people that were with me that are willing to help me get out of jail. Whereas if I go and do it myself, I don't know how long I'm going to be in jail. I don't know how if I'm going to be able to make a phone call. I don't know if, if mom and dad are even going to know I'm in jail. And I don't know who's going to know if I'm going to... But when there's 800 people and they watch me get arrested, they know where I'm going. They know how to get me out. They'll try to get me out sooner, faster, mm-hmm. cheaper. So we're we're all more emboldened to do bigger actions when we have that community yeah. no matter what it is and that's that's how we get to go to these yeah. we go to these farms and we go on them but we went on this farm and, and there was there's a good VICE video on there where they they filmed they filmed some of the actions that, that happened at, at sunrise farms but then they also include at the end they they come back a few months later and, and interview our lead investigate our lead our negotiator our lead guy on the on the action and they, invest, they interviewed the farmer, but separately. So they're, they're talking real candidly, and, and it's really cool to see that they're talking honestly and openly They're not hiding anything. But I went on there, and one of the things I like, I like to take a lot of photos and document stuff, so it, maybe I, I can use those photos to show other people to get them curious and get them asking questions. But I saw, you know, the dead chickens. I saw the, what they consider free range, where, you know, they have two feet of two feet by two feet of green grass, and they have to have access to it, but they're so freaked out they never even go to that. Um, they'll sometimes try to set up a little part of their farm so that we see something that's better than what we know is out there, but we're smart enough, and we've seen enough footage that we know that they're kind of setting it up a little bit mm-hmm. so that we say, hey, that that's a good farm. You re- why'd we rescue from a good farm when we could have rescued from a horrible farm? But we know it's, sometimes we know it's set up. But we got on the farm, and there was a team that was going to go in, into the barns. I wasn't part of that team, um, and they were going to take out chickens. Well, and we do full—we do the full hazmat with Tyvek suits and everything. So that we, in in one of the things we like to do is be able to say in court that we did everything we could to not damage the place, whether it be disease, whether it be violence, whether it be you know breaking things. So so we don't do that. They went in there and they documented it. They had a cameraman go in with as part of our team and they showed what what it was like in there. And the farmers got mad and angry at us and we did our thing and we came out with 32 chickens and 31 survived the day. But we had a lot of crazy cool footage of it that we can now, and since I've been there now, I have a story to tell like I'm telling now, Mm -hmm. as opposed to saying, oh, I saw this video. I can say, I was there, I'm in the pictures. I took pictures myself.
0: Yeah. What is it like doing that? Like, is it
1: kind of nerve-wracking? What, how did... Um, well, the first time you do it, it it's very nerve-wracking because you don't know how the whole... how the police are going to handle it. Once you've done it a few times, there's power in numbers. When there's, when there's more people than there are cops, the cops can't... The cops have to decide, like, what rules are they going to enforce? We have all these laws, and not all, they're not all good laws... And so we, you have to violate the bad laws. And that's what we're doing. We're violating some of the bad laws. But they, the cops have, now have a decision to make. If we, if we enforce, um, say, I don't know, trespassing,
2: mm-hmm.
1: how are we going to enforce that? Because we can't arrest 800 people. Mm-hmm. So what are we going to, you know, yeah. now they have some decisions to make. And we also ask them, in the moment, in the heat of the moment do you want to arrest us or do you want to help us and the animal abuse we know we know they're seeing it too like they're not looking at the same they're not looking at a different farm than we are they're not seeing us come out with dead chickens they're not seeing us come out with you know and not seeing a dead animal so and so we know they have a, they have a choice to make too is there a negotiation there? Do they... Do there, they there's some negotiation, lend? but it's also... We, 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 just, we try to plant... We, try, we, we ask them straight to their face, do you want to be supporting this abuse? Do you want to... Or do you want to support cleaning the system up? Hmm. And, some of the, and we know some of them are, are just doing their job, doing what their superior tells them to do, but at the end of the day, they're going to go home. And that's not a normal day for them when they saw 800 people at a farm breaking the law intentionally yeah you know not not breaking a law they didn't know existed or breaking a law they only that everybody breaks mm-hmm. you know like speeding down a road everybody breaks the speeding law i just happened to go seven miles an hour over, and he got me for seven instead of five whatever you know but th- this is now like their intention these activists are intentional yeah. about it and now i have when I go home, when the odd officer goes home at the end of the day, he's probably thinking, like, they were in, they were very, very intentional. They wanted to be breaking those laws. They wanted to be on that farm. They wanted to be trespassing. And he did that with intention. I got a decision to be making now when, when, when that officer goes home. He's got he to yeah. think about He's got a lot to think about. Yeah, so what's the dynamic like between
0: you have a group of 800 people, you have police, and you have the owners, and then I'm assuming it's, you probably have a team of people going in.
1: It's very intense. What's that dynamic like In the moment, Especially it's very intense. But the, but the whole thing is we didn't get to that point. That's not, that's not the first time we, we've been there. Yeah, There's been other groups that have documented maybe those same farms, those same kind of conditions. We've asked the courts. We've asked the politicians. We've asked the farm owner, hey, this needs to change. And everybody said, no, no, no. So now we're doing the last thing we, we know we know we can do, and that's using our, our human power and yeah. getting in there. So what does that so, look like? Can you paint the scene for me, I guess is what I'm trying to get at? Um, well, well, the, the, way, the, way, the way this one went down, Mercy for Animals had already been in, into the, the same exact farm and done an investigation, and we came along. I'm, 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 putting, I'm putting multiple incidences together, but this might be the way it happens. We come in, and um, maybe we send a group in there We bring a van in there really quickly and send 10 people in there right before, before those 800 come and they, they get to mill around before anybody knows what's really going on before anybody, the, the farmers or the police or the other law enforcement know what's going on and they pull out some animals. Hmm. They take out some lives and and save some lives that we can use to educate later on say, Hey, you know, that farm down there, this dude was part of that, was part of that. And then later in the day, we come on there and we say, look, we go, we go in there with the intention of shutting them down permanently, but you know, how does that, what does that look like if you're to succeed? What does that mean exactly? Well, we show, well, we, we know the officers aren't going to allow 800 people to stand on the road, stand in front of a farm, block off of business, keep a business from doing their job because they're there to protect money and they want that business to be doing whatever that business is doing as long as it's legal. Mm Mm-hmm whether it's right or wrong they don't care they're they're just there to protect to keep that business doing legal legal activity so we show up as quickly as we can show up and we all hop out of vans, we all hop out of buses and we hurry on down to the farm and we try to save even more lives, get on that farm and we're documenting as much as we can to show because the industry won't let won't let you see they're not going to show the inside of a barn mm-hmm. that's that gross and disease-ridden and dust-filled and cannibalism and injuries and death yeah are you able? disease and so we, we we go in there as quickly as possible and then finally the farmers say well they're not able to negotiate with us to say stay off our farm they end up calling the cops and then it's kind of like uh, it's, a, it's a power struggle at that point mm-hmm. and we're there until we're forced to leave
0: yeah uh- can you, are you able to speak to exactly
1: what you did while you were there? Can you, t- can well, you speak while well, w- that? Up until this point, I've, I've only ever been there as a witness. But I've actually gone, we, we, we do it in teams. Okay. We, have a, we have a green, a yellow, and a red team. Okay. All teams are arrestable. All teams are participating in illegal, in illegal activity as far as the law is concerned. Okay. But the green team stays in areas where they're, they're not, they're, they're, most, they're most legal. Okay. The yellow team gets kind of in the middle. They get into a legal, an illegal situation. They, they're not actually the ones rescuing. The red team is the, is the team that rescues. And I've always been on the yellow team. So I've been okay. kind of witnessing the rescues. Gotcha. And the red team is the one that goes in the barns. They're the ones that open up cages and actually take out beings and stuff like that. Gotcha. But still, everybody else is still super important because we're all arrestable. Yeah. And when a cop only has 10 people to arrest, he's going to arrest all 10. And he's going to leave them in prison and they're not going to do anything about it. When there's 500 or more people to arrest mm-hmm. that are, they can't arrest, they're going to be a little more picky-choosy on mm-hmm. who they arrest. And when they know that we're prepared for the arrest, we're, we know what happens when we're in prison, we we know to, to keep quiet. We know how to defeat the, the prisoner's dilemma game that most people don't know how to defeat. Um, we don't talk to the cops. We know how to negotiate. We have professional, basically professional negotiator. There's a few people on our team that we've, we've, and we've done a lot of training for all this that they know we're not rookies. And so the cops are a little different in the way they interact with us. And yeah, so but but we're using, we're, we try to use it to our advantage and expose it. That's our biggest thing is we want to expose these places of violence and get the people who say, I'm just buying humane meat. I'm just buying it from the local farmer. But it's still the same slaughterhouse. It's still the same egg farm, and it's all violent. Okay. Um, you said this was documented.
0: Could people be directed somewhere where they can see this stuff? Um, is there w- a place w- they we, can
1: look? When we have our week-long conferences, there's usually people we, we designate to be professional photographers, but anybody can take photos. Yeah. Uh, and one of the things I try to do is I try to download all these photos, especially from the ones we are doing it a little more a little more professional knowledge and can get the coloring right and the maybe they they turn it to black and white, the ones that go inside the barns and yeah. get that perfect shot of the animal and everything yeah. like that. So I have th- I have thousands of pictures of these different Okay the different years I've been part of these different yeah. actions. Yeah. Um, it, but when you go in by yourself and you when you actually when you actually do a rescue, sometimes um, before we have these beak long these, these, these weeks of action and trainings and demos and people have already been into these farms in small groups, maybe in groups of five. And we even we've been training people how to how to go in there if you just want to bring out an animal, and we document some of those too. If we if we pull those out as a story, but if we never if those stories never go out, yeah, we end up destroying our photos for those.
2: Hmm.
1: So. Wait. So, so for the actions I've been on to that we've never released the story, I don't see the photos. Gotcha. I don't want them out there. I don't want to be arrested for it. Okay. So we all re- but but a lot, some of those times we'll, we'll use that as a bigger story. Like when yeah. you go on to, you know, maybe we want to expose Farmer John's, which is, yeah. which is a Smithfield uh, pork slaughterhouse, pig slaughterhouse. Maybe want to, we want to expose them for, and bring out a story right around 4th of July because that's a big hot dog holiday. Yeah, Something like that. So we, we'll, we'll go in on their farms and we'll expose their farms and stuff like that. But yeah, they're, 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 we're, out, we're out there. We're not shy about what we do. So we're out there on YouTube and stuff like that. Okay. And
0: what would somebody search um, to find these things just so it's easier? Well,
1: if you want our videos, we're direct action everywhere Okay. all over YouTube. But there is a video that there is a couple of videos that a group called Condition 1 has done and I've had trouble finding them recently. I don't know if they still exist. But there's a group called Condition 1 and they're known for making VR videos mm. and they're also willing to go into ille- illegal situations like vice and those kind of new, newsy type. Yeah. Won't won't continue on the action once it becomes illegal, they'll stay on legal grounds. But condition one has followed us in on a couple actions, and they're in VR. We have one of the largest uh, KFO confined animal feeding operation in the world out, in, which is owned by Smithfield out in Milford, yeah. Utah. Yeah. We have we have a VR of that, and there's there's a there was a really cool VR of a egg farm. Hmm. I'm walking down, you can see how just yes, how massive these barns are. It looks like it looks like it's on a loop. It's just massive. What yeah. is the line
0: between making a documentary out of film that was taken of a legal action and taking of legal action? Like, why would you hold that film back if it would give you more publicity? I know that there's the legal part of it, but what what's um, the nature of that? Because to me, you guys are already committing it, and so the documentary right, right. and putting there, that out there would really... Show people, right? So right, why hold we, that you're back? You're Talking
1: about when we go in there and rescue like a single animal, and it never turns into anything huge. Why not release it? Um, sometimes we will release it. Sometimes we we it wasn't a big enough story to to put to out rele- to put out there. Okay, and so we'll, we'll, we we save the animal. Okay, and we say the animal came yeah. from a horrible situation, but we, not, we might not tell you where that animal came from. Okay, so so is it more like a A a thought of telling a good story over worrying about the legalese of it is a lot of it. It's a lot of it. Telling a really good story, okay. Telling a truthful story, yeah. And so that people see where what the industry won't won't show you. Gotcha. Like, there are people, and we don't do it, but there's people called undercover investigators, and they're they're extremely powerful, and we're extremely thankful for some a lot of the work they've done. Like Mercy for Animals does that, and what they'll do is they'll get their investigators employed. By these slaughterhouses, or employed by these farms, or whatever. But every day they go to work, they have cameras on them, and they're recording all this stuff and recording all the violence that goes on. Because maybe there was some report that pigs were being kicked in the slaughterhouse on a continual basis. So they get a job in the slaughterhouse and then document it. But that can be that can be almost they're risking their life sometimes for that. Yeah. Because if the other slaughterhouse fi- workers find out that their actions are being documented for legality purposes, they might want to kill them. Yeah. Yeah. Or, at
0: the very least, have them arrested or something like that, right? Oh, definitely. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: And, then w- the, and, and a lot of times, these people are vegans, uh, like myself, and they'll, at lunchtime, they'll give them a burger and say, hey, have some burgers with us. If you don't want to die, you've got to eat the burger. You yeah. know, that's like, you know, against your morals. Yeah, yeah. But th- you know, they do it. There's been. Are there? So, so, working in like a slaughterhouse is one of the hardest jobs in the United States to, to get. I believe that, yeah. It, I heard somewhere that it was, has one of the highest turnover rates. Well, so, so many it's people. Extremely high turnover rate. It's also high drug use. High. P- they get PTSD at a higher rate than yeah. military. They also have a lot of. There's a lot of violence. <laughs> like they bring home violence at home because if you're a using a knife and you become second nature to slit an animal's throat. Yeah. What's going to stop you from doing it at home? Maybe yeah.
0: they have a higher PTSD PTSD rate than, than the military. military?
1: Uh-huh. Really? Wow. Um, well, on a, on, a, on a day-to-day basis, the military's not always seeing seeing violence. You know, a lot of times they're training, they're learning to be heroes and all that. Whereas in in a slaughterhouse, you're just another person trying to slit throats as fast as you can slit throats, or whatever your Mm. your one little piece of the the
0: entire puzzle is. Yeah. What would you? Are there specific laws you can point to that are bad animal laws? You would say? Like, can you name any? Well, the law
1: we're we're, we're trying we're trying to overturn a few laws that will basically make the animal agriculture almost illegal um, one of them is the right to rescue the fact that we go into these farms without permission and take out animals we 'd have every animal out of there as fast as we can get them out of there if it was legal we, in the state of california we, we had we introduced a bill and had a legislator uh, a California legislator introduce it to ban the expansion. And new building of, of slaughterhouses and factory farms. A factory farm is anything larger than about 300 head, 300 individual animals. And they were all gung-ho for it. And they had the very, at the end, they turned it into another study instead of actually wanting to make it a law. And we, hmm. so there's a, lot of mo- there's a lot of dark money in politics. And it corrupts the system quite a bit. Because yeah. you can buy what you want, whether it's right or wrong. Yeah, yeah. Like I can um, buy the fact that my vehicle might not have very good gas mileage, or I can buy whatever.
0: Yeah. Are there um, efforts that you can point to of um, proper agriculture or um, agricultural farming that um, people could turn to
1: if they still wanted to eat meat? Are there options like that out there? Do you not, think? not with animals, because how do you, how do you kill somebody that wants to live? That's always the question we come back to you can't kill somebody that wants to live and you can't and when you kill all these f- these food animals they're still toddlers in hum- in human terms but there is there is a process called regenerative agriculture yeah and it was it was featured in the film Kiss the Ground there's a very and if you watch that movie Kiss the Ground there's a character in there you you'll remember him nobody nobody ever forgets this guy cuz I can't forget him since I've seen that movie I've seen that movie twice now and he goes around with the National Re- Resource Conservation Service, which teaches people how to better use land more, more efficiently, more sustainably. And they were teaching farmers how to have these, these classes about how you can do the three-level farming so that the system kind of... Keeps itself going without having to have fertilizer, and you know you have animals come in there, and they'll make the ground right. You have the pollinators will come in and make the ground right. You have the animals, some animals come in and eat some of the stuff and move the seeds around, and it will all regenerate itself. And this this one character, he was going going around to these classes as well, and he said this: I don't need the agricultural subsidies they're giving farmers, the, the billions and billions of dollars that farmers are getting from the federal government just to survive, just just to say. Um, to cover their costs because right now they're not s- sustainable they, don't, they wouldn't cover their cost if they didn't have this, these government help, these government subsidies and he says I don't need that, I'm making $100 an acre by doing this regenerative agriculture hmm. so it can be done right
0: Yeah. would you be fine with eating meat or no. grains or anything from that type of uh, I would, I would organization I
1: would never... Well, well, the, the animals that might come onto this, this, this system yeah. could be our wild, our wild animals, our deers, our, our skunks, our moose, our squirrels, all over. Okay. They'd be the ones doing it. We wouldn't need cows. We wouldn't need pigs. But, but in the beginning, when farmers need, need to be encouraged to move towards this, we say, hey, use your cows as the animal in the system and – and that would be to eventually transition it to more natural wildlife, like right, deer and right. elk. Right, right. We're, 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 it's more like we've built a for we built a man made forest almost kind of thing, and we now, now we're just we're foraging okay. out of the system to, to get food. How do you feel
0: about uh, hunting then?
1: Huh? How do you feel about hunting? Hun- hunting shouldn't be. No hunting. Hunting, hunting hunting's still abusive of. of uh, now it, it's better than the system we've got now. It's better than slaughterhouses and all that. But if, yeah. let's just ask a question: If everybody hunted that ate meat, we'd have nothing left. You know, we'd have to we'd have to have hunting grounds that are factory farms, and that's you know you just be changing the slaughterhouse mm-hmm. to a, from a slaughterhouse to, to a rifle. Mm-hmm. It's still abuse.
0: What do you What do you think about the argument um, that's a little contrary to that, where? eventually they're going to die and most likely it'll be from a a more of a horrific death from another bigger animal and a a bullet to the heart a a kill done right by a hunter would be a lot quicker right the system
1: that's that's lasted for millions of years lasted longer than humans is is when we watch the discovery channel that's the system that's been there when you have the big cats on the African savanna hunting down the antelope or whatever they are. Yeah. What do they do? They don't go after the healthiest ones like a hunter would, like a human hunter, a hunter, a human hunter would go after the healthiest ones. They go after the sickest ones. So in a sense that discovery, the lines on the discovery channel are making the system stronger as opposed to the humans are making the system weaker. And if, if we hunted like that, which we would never hunt like that because you don't want to eat the disease. Mm-hmm. Or, it's not like you eat raw meat all the time like, like that big cat does and you're used to the disease and all that. So I don't know if we can make it to a point where hunting would be okay. Yeah. But we, could, we, could, we could definitely talk about it yeah. if, we, if we did things. Yeah. We have to do things much differently than we do now. It's not sustainable. Okay. And we know that the number one greenhouse gas is methane mm-hmm. and the number one source is livestock. Mm-hmm. We know that for a fact. It's, yeah, yeah. What about, but
0: uh, to my imagination, a bullet to the heart as opposed to being ripped apart from that uh, jungle cat, I'd probably prefer the bullet if I was the prey, right? Because it's a lot swifter of a death if it's done right.
1: As an individual, I'd rather I'd rather be killed by a bullet than, than be in a jail system and then be slot be murdered. Yeah. Um, but it's not, only, it's not only the bullet. I, I leave behind a family. I, I might be leave behind kids. I leave behind neighbors. I leave behind friends. But there's a death either way. That that depend on me.
0: Yeah, but there's a death either way. So right, right. But
1: but the rest of the system is being abused as well. Mm. Even though they weren't directly harmed by that bullet, they are being harmed because now you have you lost a father. You lost maybe a mother. You've lost a child.
0: But if you if you lost that father to being killed by a predator animal, it's it's the
1: same maybe you wouldn't maybe effect maybe. right that, that's, that that but the 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 large cat has to do it. We don't have to do it. They ha- that large cat wouldn't wouldn't be alive. if That large cat didn't take out that sick sick animal. Well, it's a, it's a brutal system, but we don't have to participate in a system like that. We can participate other way. We can you know we can have our gardens which are not brutal. Yeah. We can share our vegetables, which are not brutal. We can make pizzas together. Yeah. It's not brutal. We go out there and we're hunting just like those big cats. It's 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 brutal. Yeah. We don't need that.
0: Yeah. Most likely though we won't have hundred percent of the world
1: on board right, right. with such a thing, right? I I, under, I understand that that philosophy too, that we'll never get hundred percent of people to we can try stop to, to stop hunting, but we can we can always we can try to shift we can I have a goal. We can have a goal to yeah. do that. But we can get to so sustainable we can get sustainable. Okay. When people do these things like trophy hunting, yeah, and yeah. taking, you know, more animals than they need, mm-hmm. you know, there's there's, there's something that are just blatantly. Yeah. We we all know are blatantly wrong.
0: Yeah, I think yeah, you should use up every piece of the animal if you do kill it, right? Like actually make it, it if we, worth ha- it, if, we ha-
1: if we absolutely had to, to hunt them. If you had the to. Native Americans yeah. have have a philosophy that that works very well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, using all pieces of the animal, eating all pieces of the animal, mm-hmm. you know, bones become tools and stuff like that. Yeah. we only really take what we need. We don't take, take 50, use one kind of thing. What do you think about monocrop agricultural though? Monocrop, monocropping. I'm absolutely against that. It's, okay. it's very horrible yeah. from, from a disease perspective. And, and it, it allows disease to adapt to the system very easily and come through the system. Um, and you know, he uses a lot of pesticides usually, a lot of harmful chemicals mm-hmm. even though a lot of these chemicals are photoreactive and they do a lot of things to bring the rate of usage down very very low they say, you know, they, did, they, they figure out an LD50 which is what does it take to kill 50% of the pest organism and then take that down by like, like an order of like a thousand and now it should be safe but you know, it's still, it's still using these toxic chemicals. There's another system called integrated pest management. And I would love to see that as being the system that we rate our fruits and vegetables by as opposed to organic, non-organic. And integrated pest management is basically a system where you have to get so many points and then your crop gets certified integrated pest management. But these points, you get more points for things that are more environmentally friendly. So let's say I, uh, kind of like the app, right? Kind of like, kind of like sort of, right? Sort of. Now, if I do things like I I spray, I spray, I spray for a, a disease. Okay. I'll give you, I'll give you two points. Instead I go and I use a predatory bug that eats the bad bugs. Well, that's much better than spraying. So I'll give you 10 points. Gotcha. Or instead of tilling, I hand, I hand weed. I might get you 50 points. Yeah. And once you get to 100 or whatever, the, whatever you need to get to, out of so many choices of things you can do, you get certified. Yeah. So I know if, if you're certified, you're doing much more than the guy who's not certified. Yeah. Yeah. And it was talked about years ago when I was in school mm-hmm. using this as a system.
0: Is there a, like a, a definition or word you can call that system? Like integrated pest management. Integrated pest management. Okay. That's a, okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've
1: never I learned, I, learned, I learned that term at CSU in mm-hmm. those classes in integrated, integrated yeah. pest management. Yeah. It's kind of like taking non-toxic methods, preferring – but remember, we also have to remember that when I, have, when I have 10 guys go out there and weed a field, it takes a lot more time and energy and costs and paychecks than just running a checker through it mm-hmm. in, in an hour or two hours. Yeah. So you've got you to weigh – it costs more to have a, a system that's more environmentally friendly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we're, we're gonna have to be thinking about that as we have water going away. As we have, you know, we're losing biodiversity that's, that's vital to our human human existence. You know, yeah. we're not, at least we're talking about th- we're talking about things like not having honeybees versus having native bees. We're, we're having a good conversation. We're starting. and I'm, I'm encouraged by that. Yeah. And places like higher education, places of higher education who specialize in this stuff, like Colorado State University being a fantastic place, they're, they're getting that information out there. They're getting this conversation started. Yeah. Yeah. I like, I like your optimism. And I like even at the individual level, we're talking about zero-scaping in, a, in a at the individual home, home mm-hmm. level. We're talking about not having invasive plants, not having... So the conversations are starting and they need to be much stronger. Mm-hmm. We have people like, you know, Greta Thunberg out there who's who's has some pretty strong asks that need to happen, but she's going she's going all over the world talking to different governments and she's making a yeah. at, at nineteen years old she's making a huge, huge impact on the world. We yeah. need that's the kind of people we need. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, I think we're going to get close to wrapping it up here. It's been sounds good talking with you. Do you yeah, have any yeah. final thoughts you want to just put out there before anything else?
1: Well, I'll go back to I'll go back to, the, I'll go back to the, the the basic groundwork for everybody. Yeah, that I think we all need to get involved in in our own communities. And if there's something that makes you passionate, find something related to that and fight for that with 100 percent of your blood, sweat, and tears. And you'll make change in the world that's positive. You might not change everything, but you'll make some changes that are positive. Yeah. Yeah. Put some action into your community, right? right that, correct, correct. That, and that you love to do. Find, find. And, and if you're passionate about something, I guarantee you there's 10 or 100 or 1,000 other people that are also passionate about the same thing. Yeah. So, fi- so find that nonprofit. Find that maybe there's a researcher, maybe there's a pr- professor locally yeah. that's also passionate you're not the first one to, to do any of these ideas that, that you're getting passionate about. Yeah. Get connected. Yeah. and But get passionate because this world needs passionate people. Yeah. Um,
0: so what I like to do, most of this is pretty free form, but at the end I ask a question. Um, what it is, is the previous person I had on asked a question for the next person on and they didn't know it was going to be you, but there's just questions getting passed down. Okay. And so um, after I ask you, I'll ask you for your question and it'll be passed on to the next person I have on just as a fun little thing. Um, And so this is all the questions I've had Um, (laughs) and it it, it can be anything as a question. So I have two questions for you. Okay. One is, um, are you more of a sock, sock, shoe, shoe kind of person or a sock,
1: shoe, sock, shoe kind of person? Th- that's a question I've actually d- debated in my own brain qu- <laughs> quite a bit. Cause, people, cause that's, that's something that people are like, I think people use that to, to tell your mental capacity. Like, are you insane kind of thing? Mm. But there's no right answer to that question. And, um, what is it for you? I'm one of those minimalist runners. Okay. I don't wear socks. I don't, I try not to, wear, well, I wear socks and shoes very infrequently. Yeah. But I read the book born to run. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it featured a group. They got they got a bunch of uh, Americans that were known for in the ultra running world when it was very when it was pretty young in this in this country. And they went down and they visited the Tarahumara Indians, who run in who run in these sandals called harachis And one of the one of the guys who runs barefoot as much as he can, and when you know it gets too rocky or it gets glass or some danger, he throws on vibram, He was throwing on vibram five fingers. We all know them. Yeah. They were the, like the, but then he came back and he created his own, his own more upscale hirachis, and those are basically what I wear. So I run in sandals. Okay.
0: So you're just uh, a shoe-shoe. There's no socks there. Exactly. Yeah. I, <laughs> guess. I guess if you want to put it that way, yeah. <laughs> and then um, he had a second question. Uh, when you eat fruit salad, is it multiple fruits on your fork at a time or one fruit at a time? Eating a fruit
1: salad. I don't eat a fruit salad very often. <laughs> I, I should probably make. Well, I don't make my own fruit salad very often. Usually, when I eat a fruit salad, it comes out of a little little dole can. Yeah. So it, it's with a spoon. Okay. I usually dr- I usually drink the juice first, so I don't make a mess everywhere. It comes <laughs> right to the top of the can, and then it's I scoop. So it's kind of. There's a lot of variety on that on that spoon. I don't, and half the time, it's all the same color because it's been sitting in that can so yeah. long. I don't know what's what. <laughs> you know, pears and grapes usually yeah. become the same color. Sometimes I don't even know if they're, what they are. What they are. <laughs> but I should be doing better about that. No, it's okay. <laughs> Making my own. And it's a great time to be having watermelon. Mm-hmm. Watermelons are are very versatile. Yeah. They got they got a little bit of salt in them. They got a little bit of – they taste really good. And you can do a lot of stuff with them. You can make smoothies out of them because they'll get a lot of water. But yeah. I should get on the watermelon thing. That reminds me. <laughs> and uh, to finish up, what question would you like to propose
0: to the next person on? It can be anything you want. It can be serious or anything.
1: Well, my, my friends have thought a lot about this question. I don't have a, a solid answer for it. Okay. But if we had a society that had no money, what would it look like? Mm. Awesome. Do you, do you have
0: any sort of an answer for that? I love the question
1: i think it'll 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 back us up it'll be kind it'll be kind of uh, a hybrid between i think it'll eventually go back to money but it'll, it might be trading something that we can consume
0: hmm. so back to more of like a bartering and trading um, type
1: of way of life but it might it might it 's definitely going to be a system built on what we want to do and we talk a lot about this built on our own expertise what we consider ourselves to be experts as opposed to just what we need to do to survive, what'll give us dollars. You know, we can all work retail, we can all work, go to university and get a get a degree and everything. But on, on the side, we've become an expert in something. Hmm. Like i become an expert of, at running, riding my bike, it's sustainability. But, but that doesn't pay me any money. That me. But in a moneyless society, I'll be able to do those things and teach people to do those things and help people do those things. Yeah, awesome. And then they'll be able to help me do what they wanna do. And the, and the bottom line is, at the end of the day, when we lay down and put our head on a pillow, we'll all feel valued as opposed to paid. When you, when you get paid, you're not always feeling valued. And when we feel valued, it's a hel- it'll be a much healthier society.
2: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Awesome. That's a great way to wrap up. Thanks for coming on and speaking with me. It was a good conversation. I, yeah, thank I really you. enjoyed thank it. Thank you. It was awesome. Yeah.
1: I'd never done a, something like this right where I, where <laughs> I don't. I'm not actively describing something or like watching a movie or something like that. I don't have a, I'm, I'm, I'm active in the, in the You're, conversation. Yeah, yeah. We're putting action. It, was, into the it was, it was, it was interesting. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for letting me get my, uh, my passions about the world yeah. out. Yeah. Thanks for coming on. Well, uh,
0: thanks for listening, everybody.